This is the record that God has given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height or depth nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Before we begin our study of God's word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so very grateful that we have this privilege and opportunity to gather together, to assemble together as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and to freely teach your word and proclaim the truth of the entire counsel of your revelation. Now, Father, as we study this morning, as we reflect upon what you have revealed to us and think about how it applies to our own lives, we pray that God the Holy Spirit would enlighten the eyes of our soul that we may be able to perceive these truths and how they apply and how they can be directed to change our lives, that your grace is uh, more fully realized in every dimension and every aspect of our life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Today it's become uh, fashionable in a lot of evangelical circles to uh, use the term blessed uh, and overuse the term blessed in lots of different ways. Christians greet one another with a greeting of blessing, or they say something over the phone like, well, bless you, or uh, <clears throat> we hear phrases like, have a blessed day, and, and in response to the question, how are you, just the answer, blessed. And we hear this a lot. Now, historically, there's, and, and biblically, we have examples of uh, some statement of benediction, that's what that word means, a good saying, a saying of blessing, being a form of greeting in the early church. The danger is that when we overuse phrases like this, then they lose their significance. They, they start to become cliches. They become trite and trivial, and they're just something that we say that has no meaning or relevance and nobody thinks about it. And in that way, the words are diluted and they, they lose their, their real meaning. And one of the tools that Satan uses to attack Christianity and has down through the ages is to assault the words that we use. I mean, from the very beginning, Satan's temptation of Eve in the garden focused on questioning a statement of God. He's focused on uh, propositional truth challenging the meaning of what God said. And so words are, are important. They, they, they mean things and they reflect ideas. And it's important to think about what we say, how we say it, and that we not trivialize or not become guilty of, of trivialization of especially doctrines that are as significant as, as being blessed by God, which is a term uh, closely related to the doctrine of grace. 
And sadly, it's these terms like grace, holiness, uh, <clears throat> sanctification, tongues, some of these terms have, have really been assaulted in the last uh, 100, 150 years, especially in, in our culture, and this has caused a, th- these words to have to be overdefined again and again and again because they've lost their biblical meaning uh, w- within a congregation. Another word is a word like, like worship. Uh, that's a term t- as well that's, that's meaning has changed just in the last 30 years and no longer has the same connotation. You talk about the, in many churches that you go to, they'll talk about the uh, song leader as the worship leader, which totally changes the meaning. The pastor is the worship leader. The song leader is the song leader. Uh, don't confuse the two. They're, it's all part of worship, but the highest form of worship is the study of God's word, understanding it, and letting that drive us to greater devotion and obedience to God. So we have to be careful of the terms that we, uh, that we use and how we use them. In the Old Testament, there are actually uh, two different words that are translated blessed. There is bless or blessing. There is the Hebrew verb barach, B-A-R-A-K, which relates to blessing, and that it's almost always used of God, and God is the only one who blesses uh, as the subject or the performer of that particular word. And then there's the word that we find in our passage here, which is asherah, which has more to do with the subjective realization of all of God's goodness to us and the application of his word in our lives so that we experience the fullness of life as God intended for us uh, to have. Now, when we look at Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 13, we're going to go down to verse 18, and we see that this is an, a, a, a self-contained unit of thought within the lesson that the um, father is giving to the son. In these verses coming up from verse 13 down through verse 35, the conclusion of this chapter, the father is extolling and magnifying the the, the blessings and the consequences of having wisdom. He's showing the son how important it is to have wisdom. And so he begins with talking about uh, the value of wisdom in these verses, and then he's going to say some things, starting in verse 19, about uh, wisdom in terms of its eternal significance, relating it to uh, the essence of God and his use of wisdom in creation, And then he is going to make application of these things uh, starting in verse uh, uh, about verse 27 or so. So we're just going to look this morning at this concept of blessing. Now, as we get into uh, this section, he's really emphasizing to his son how to have, how to live a blessed life. And we have to understand what it means to have a blessed life in the context now, as we look at the structure here, we see that this is what is called uh, a chiasm. A chiasm. A chiasm is just a lit- literary way of organizing material. And in the ancient world, especially, uh, you didn't have things like uh, 
font faces, underlining, italics, bold face. You couldn't color code words like we have on the screen. Uh, none of that was available to bring out emphasis. So you did it stylistically. You did it in the way you arranged ideas. And a chiasm is based on the Greek letter that looks like an X, the first letter in the word Christos for Christ. And it uh, looks like the left-hand side of an X. And so you have a statement. You, sometimes you can have an A statement, a B statement, a C statement. You can have eight or ten statements going down, and then your eight or ten statements following mirror or reflect uh, the statements made earlier. So, for example, here the A statements are your first statement and your last statement, both of which emphasize blessing. The first, uh, the first verse, verse 13 looks at the Father pronounces the person who finds wisdom as blessed. And in the last line, 18b, uh, we read, and blessed or happy are all who retain her. So you see that the, the line, the last line reflects the first verse. And then in the middle, you have two statements related to the value of wisdom in verses 14 and 15, that wisdom is superior uh, to the value of precious minerals, and that wisdom uh, benefits are then uh, stated in verses 16 and 17, or actually down to 18a. So that gives us a structure. The focal point here then is the the value and significance of wisdom as, as uh, emphasized in the middle section. It's usually the middle section that's the sort of like the target that the, the uh, point of the arrow uh, addresses so that's that's the focal point of the passage. It looks something like this if you were to chart it out. Proverbs three thirteen uh, is reflected in Proverbs three eighteen, actually just the last part three eighteen b, and then the center section covers verses fourteen through seventeen. Now he begins by saying, "Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding." Now I've always had a problem translating these words as happiness, because happiness is one of those words like fairness. I don't like the word fair. Uh, you know, we have a president who's talking about everybody needs to pay their fair share. Well, fair means different things to different people. Some people think fair means just. Other people mean fair means everybody gets the same result. Other people think fair means um, whatever they think is right or uh, consistent with uh, uh, equitable or equal distribution. So fair is a nebulous concept. Well, so is happy. Happy is a subjective term. We often think of a psychological state of euphoria because things are going well and we're uplifted, we're excited, uh, our favorite football team won a game, or uh, somebody that we like uh, actually responded to us, or whatever it may be. We're feeling good. We've accomplished something, and so we feel uh, we feel uplifted, and that's often what we think of in terms of happiness. And that's a, a, a rather uh, fluid concept. One day we can be up, the next day down, and it's dependent upon circumstances and events, and that's not what this word is emphasizing. But the word blessed also has its own problems because of a lot of the ways in which it's used today, and it does seem to indicate not happiness in that fleeting, uh, vacillating sense, but more of an enduring joy that is based on 
living life as God would have us to live it. And despite our circumstances, there is a fullness of life and a fullness of joy and tranquility and contentment that is the result of doing what God says to do and of the way he has graciously provided for us in the midst of our circumstances. So this first word, happy, is a translation of the Hebrew word esher, meaning uh, blessed. It's a state of blessedness or happiness. It's how it's usually translated, but it's different from the uh, from another word that is more frequently used, and that's the verb barach, or the noun form for blessing is bracha. Some of you need to learn that the correct way to say that word is bracha. In fact, the uh, <coughs> consul general of Israel, Mir Shlomo, uh, here in Houston's wife's name is bracha. And so if you're, you know, do any interaction with Israelis, you will find that that is a common name uh, that women have, bracha. And so that's the correct way uh, to pronounce the word for blessing, not baraka. Just wanted to make sure you understood that. It's that Texas twang that changes everything. Now, barak, this first verb, is a word that is most often used in relation to God. God is the only one who is the subject of this verb. God is the only one who performs this action of blessing others. It's used of human beings blessing God. Uh, And in that sense, because we often wonder, how in the world can a finite creature bless God? I mean, we can't give him anything. Well, the word has a range of meanings, and one of its uh, areas uh, or arenas of meaning is to praise. And so when uh, the scripture says, says, bless God, that is an idiom for saying praise God. And so we bless God by praising him, and we don't praise him by saying praise God. We don't praise him by saying hallelujah. We've just changed language. Hallelujah is Hebrew, meaning praise God. Hallelujah is the imperative form of the Hebrew word hallel, meaning to praise. And if we say hallelujah, we're saying praise God. That's not how you praise God. Read in the Psalms that give praise to God. And the way we praise God is by rehearsing and bragging upon what God has done for us. We tell people what he has done. We we list items. We name specifics. It's concrete. It's not just saying praise God. But that's another way in which we have trivialized uh, much of praise today is that we just sing songs uh, that rehearse these words of praising God, and you haven't praised God if you say praise God. Uh, Praise God means to list or enumerate or identify all of the ways in which God has graciously provided for you, graciously delivered you from uh, negative circumstances, and all the ways in which God has provided for you. That is how we praise God or bless God. Now, the second word, which is the word we find in this context, is a word that describes more often our subjective uh, uh, realization of God's gracious benefits in our life. God provides for us, and through his word, as we grow to maturity, as our life is stabilized because uh, we walk with the Lord and we apply his word, then 
we experience his provision in our life, and that is what is meant by this word in terms of blessing. It is a sense that we realize all the fullness of what God has uh, intended man to experience for God to, as God originally created uh, human beings. So this word has is often used in a sense where uh, man is expected to do something, whereas the first word, barak, is used in more of a grace sense that God simply bestows something freely upon uh, people. With Asher, the idea is that that there is something that we do in order to experience that blessing. There are conditions attached and that one of the conditions is stated in this particular passage is that if you want to experience this blessing of God, then you must first acquire wisdom and understanding. It's not just bestowed as a free gift. like It's not grace in that sense. It comes as a result of the uh, study and the acquisition of wisdom from a consistent focus on the word, uh, application of the word, claiming promises, and letting our mind be completely transformed by God's word so that we approach life as God would have us approach life. So it begins with the phrase happy or blessed. Happy communicates more, I think, to a lot of people. Happy is the man. The word here is Adam, like the name of the first uh, human being, and it not only refers to Adam as the, an individual by his name, but is a word that refers to uh, mankind, both men and women. Uh, Enosh is a Hebrew word that would emphasize the male, but Adam emphasizes both men and women, so we could might translate it happy as the person who finds wisdom and the person who gains understanding. Now, Proverbs talks quite a bit about this kind of blessedness. For example, in Proverbs 8.32, we read, Now, therefore, listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my way. See, this is another condition in in Proverbs uh, uh, 3.13 here. We have to acquire wisdom. And in Proverbs 8.32, this is a personification of wisdom speaking, and wisdom says that if you want to have this kind of happiness in life, then you need to keep my ways or walk in obedience to wisdom or apply wisdom consistently in life. Proverbs 8.34, two verses later, says, Blessed or happy is the man who listens to me, that is, listens to wisdom, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. So the emphasis here is not only on obedience, as in verse 32, but also in attentiveness to wisdom, seeking out what wisdom has to say. What is the wise course of action biblically? Again, it drives us back to the Word again and again and again to discover what God is saying to us through His Word. Proverbs 14.21 talks about uh, the application of this, of wisdom, in terms of our neighbor. Remember in the 
Mosaic law, when Jesus was asked to what the greatest commandment was, he named two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and two, love your neighbor as yourself. So we are not to treat our neighbor with disrespect, and in the context of 1421, it indicates a neighbor that has difficulties or problems. Uh, he who despises his neighbor sins. But in the parallel in the, of the second line, he who has mercy on the poor, that explains it fully. The contrast is between despising the neighbor and having mercy on the neighbor. And since the parallel to neighbor is the poor, we're dealing with a neighbor, someone in our periphery who is going through difficult times. And in, rather than minimizing or delegitimizing their suffering, their adversity, whether it's from their fault or someone else's fault or whatever the condition, rather than treating them lightly, we are demonstrating God's love and grace and mercy in their life. And so that is part of mercy. If you treat those well in your periphery, whether they deserve it or not, those who are going through difficult times, then a result of that is that we experience the fullness that God has for, for our life, described as happiness or being blessed. He who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. Now, this is an individual decision. just want to add this. This is not something that is imposed by the government. Too often today we have a problem because as the government has taken over and takes over more and more things like health care and welfare, what it does is the government says, I don't trust you to personally provide for those poor or the weak or the sick. We're going to take your money and we're going to decide the best way to distribute that, one of the most inefficient ways possible. Uh, not only is it inefficient in terms of the bureaucratic distribution of wealth, but it is also uh, inefficient in the sense that it takes away uh, whatever extra individuals might have to bless others with so that they don't have anything to give because the government's already taken most of it. We don't have much left to give to the church, to give to uh, hospitals, to give to nonprofit organizations that further the uh, study of, uh, of diseases and things like that. And the more the government takes away, the less it allows the citizens to exercise their own volition and responsibility in, in, in graciously blessing others and taking care of them. And so it, it destroys personal responsibility and it destroys the opportunities for happiness on the part of individuals in helping to contribute to these causes. Proverbs 16.20 says, He who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Now, if you look at the parallelism here, this is a synonymous parallelism, uh, where the first line is restated in the second line, heeding the word, that is, listening to what God says and obeying it, applying it in the life, results in discovering that which is intrinsically good in life. The second line parallels that, so we understand that heeding the word is part of trusting in the Lord, relying upon him, believing his word to be true and applying it, and the result is, as we dis the parallel between finding good and happy is he, is that as we 
uh, experience the that which is intrinsically good in our life, then it is fulfilling to our souls as God designed us, and we live in and live optimally as God intended for us to live. Another use of Asherah in Proverbs is in Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous man walks in his integrity. So this is addressed to fathers. You walk in integrity. The Hebrew word there simply means in the wholeness of your, your, your honesty and righteousness. And because you as a father live a life of integrity, then your children are blessed afterwards. Think about the flip side of that. A father who has no honesty, no integrity, who is irresponsible, who fails to fulfill his responsibilities as a Christian father, then his children are not prepared for life. They are not provided for. Uh, they miss out on many things that he has probably engendered bitterness in their heart in violation of Colossians chapter 3. And so this is a problem. So the father that, that lives righteously on the basis of integrity from the scripture uh, is a blessing for his children. And then the uh, final use of the term in Proverbs is in Proverbs 28, verse 14, where we read, Happy or blessed is the man who is always reverent. Now, that's the New King James translation. The word there in the Hebrew is the word pachad, which is a synonym for uh, the word that is normally used for fear. And so when it talks about fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that uses a Hebrew synonym for pachad, and so what this is emphasizing is blessed is the man who con- continuously uh, walks in the fear of the Lord. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then you see the connection there. If you're always walking in, with reference to the fear of the Lord, then you're building wisdom and understanding in your life, and uh, the, the person who has wisdom in the life and has acquired wisdom, as Proverbs 3, uh, 13 says, is blessed or happy. And so the role of the fear of the Lord is significant in our spiritual life and spiritual growth. Now, as we look at the last part of this first verse, finding wisdom and uh, Gaining understanding, these are two different words that are expressed here in the, in the Hebrew. The word for find, it's the Hebrew word matzah. It's not matzah like matzah bread. This is the beginning. This is Passover this week. Passover begins tomorrow night at sundown is, uh, Erev, uh, 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 Pesach. Pesach's the Hebrew for Passover. Begins at sundown tomorrow night and that be- also begins the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. So over the next 24 hours in a Jewish home that is uh, rigorously observing Passover, they will be removing all of the leaven uh, from the house, and uh, the only bread that they can eat for the next week is matzah or unleavened bread. This is not matzah in terms of unleavened bread. It just sounds that way to our ears. It's uh, uh, the, the word that means to find, and it indicates uh, finding something as a result of a conscientious search for it. 
It's not just something that happens along the way as you walk down the aisle of the grocery store and look down and somebody dropped a $100 bill and you go, oh, great, I just found a $100 bill. Now you're happy. No, this is somebody who is searching, diligently seeking for wisdom and understanding, and that is the person who will be have this blessed happiness in life because they have discovered wisdom and gained understanding. So the second word for gaining is the Hebrew word uh, fuk, which means to obtain something, to offer something, to acquire something through 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 purchase. You're investing time and energy in order to learn the word and let it shape your thinking. Now, these two words that are used at the end of the verse, wisdom and understanding, are words, the wisdom is from chokhmah, which emphasizes a skill, or sometimes it's translated prudence, but it has that idea of application. Understanding actually, in a flow chart, which I'll put up in a second, understanding precedes wisdom. Uh, it is also an application, though. It's from um, the uh, Hebrew word bina, which means to... I always re- remembered this in Hebrew vocabulary. Uh, the word bean means to decide between things. It's an exercise of discernment, being able to choose the wise option. So understanding has to do with taking the doctrine that we learn, the teaching that we have uh, studied, and then applying that into real-time situations so that we make wise decisions. The result of making wise decisions is that we grow in wisdom and we develop a life that exhibits a, a certain amount of skill in living because we know the Word of God. So there is a flow of the way we uh, acquire wisdom that we see in the Proverbs. First of all, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we have to start with a uh, healthy respect bordering on fear of the negative consequences uh, of the Lord. He is in control, and we know we need to submit to him in every area of life. Because we fear the Lord, we know that he has commanded that we know him and know his word, so we have to arrange our lives in such a way that we can acquire a knowledge of his word. That means we have to make time every day to read our Bible, to listen to uh, the teaching of God's word, study it on our own, uh, be in Bible class during the week. This has to be a, a priority. You can't get to wisdom without knowing the word, and you can't know the word unless this is a, a disciplined procedure on your part that where you have made this a priority so that you're there every time you can You when you're in the car whether you're at the gym, whatever, you're going to uh, listen to the teaching of God's Word or study it on your own so that you can come to that knowledge of God's Word. So we begin with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and then we acquire knowledge through the study of the Word. But knowledge, uh, knowledge isn't wisdom. Wisdom comes from application over time. So we go from knowledge to understanding and then to wisdom. That's the way in which we grow. Now, verse 13 states the principle that if you want to have a fulfilled life and have happiness in life, apart from uh, circumstances or no matter what they might be, 
then you need to seek and acquire wisdom and understanding. Now, why should you do this? Uh, We have to spend our lives doing so many things. Uh, It's not like it was 50 years ago when a man could work 40 hours a week and he could go home and that was good and he didn't go back until the next day. Many of you are working 55, 60, 65 hours a week or more. It's hard to carve out the time to really be a student of God's Word because uh, we're too busy chasing the dollar. And not always in a bad sense. Sometimes those are our jobs. That's the career path we've chosen. And those are the obligations that are placed upon us. And we don't have uh, any any alternative or any other option. Uh, In verse 14, the father says the reason that we need to acquire wisdom and pursue wisdom and find wisdom is that her proceeds... And the word there is the Hebrew word sachar, which indicates the results of trade. In other words, the profit. There's nothing wrong with making a profit, despite the fact that many in our culture want to always uh, assault the rich and raise their taxes as if acquiring wealth is evil. The problem is that 80% of the people in this country aren't as wealthy as the other 20%, and they're just jealous and they want it. And so they want the government to take from, to be Robin Hood and take from the rich and give to them. But it, the reason they want it is because they too really want to be wealthy. Uh, being rich is not evil. Uh, people can uh, do wrong things with money. People often do many evil and wrong things without money. Uh, money can be the root of all evil, as Paul tells Timothy. It's not the root of all evil. I mean, it's not evil. It is the root of all evil. It's just referring to materialism lust. But notice the writer here is validating the importance of profit. Silver and gold are valuable. He's not denigrating the acquisition of wealth. But what he is saying is wealth without wisdom is an empty life. Wealth without Understanding of God's word is not going to bring happiness. Happiness, as much joy as money will bring to people, and it does, the word of God and wisdom from the word of God is going to make you even happier because it's going to give you the capacity to use the silver and gold that you uh, acquire in life in a wise way that benefits you and so that you just don't throw it away or fritter it away or use it irresponsibly. It will be used in a responsible manner to enrich not only your life and experience but also your family and those around you, for example, uh, the neighbor that is destitute and in need of aid. So there is a positive recognition of wealth embedded in the comparison uh, that we find here. Uh, Her proceeds, that is the proceeds of wisdom, are better than the profits of silver. It's not saying that there's anything wrong with the profits of silver and gold. The comparison doesn't work if the value of silver and gold isn't significant and isn't good. The comparison is that is wonderful and it's great, but wisdom's even better. And so the focus is not on acquisition of wealth, but on acquisition of wisdom. And then in verse 15, he he compares the value to that of precious jewels, rubies, and 
whatever else you may desire in life, whatever you might think will bring you happiness and joy in life. Wisdom is more precious than rubies, than beautiful things, uh, valuable things. And then he says, and all the things you may desire, that covers everything else. Notice the word all. He doesn't say most. He says all. Whatever you think will bring you happiness, wisdom will bring you greater happiness. That's his point. Whatever you think brings you, and he's not saying there's something wrong with with having hobbies or enjoying aspects of God's creation, acquiring things. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you make that the source of happiness and joy, that will not bring you happiness and joy. What will bring you happiness and joy and give meaning to your acquisition of wealth or success or uh, significance in life is above that you must have wisdom because that is what gives you the capacity to enjoy and appreciate responsibly all of the material blessings that God might give you. Not only is wisdom more valuable than than uh monetary riches or beautiful things or whatever else you may desire, it will add uh, significance to your life. It will add length of days and uh, riches. Notice he puts length of days first, length of days in the right hand. It's the position of priority. It will strengthen your life. And so that you will live a long life. Now, remember, these are proverbs, not promises. That doesn't mean that there uh, aren't exceptions. A proverb is under normal circumstances. When you walk with the Lord, you will live a long, uh, full life. That doesn't mean there won't be adversity. Look at Job. Job went through some tremendous adversity as God allowed him to be tested, as Satan assaulted him and took away his children and his possessions and his health. Eventually, God restored it all to him, but it was the opportunity to teach Job that all that he had did not come from his own effort. It was the blessing of God. And unless he had his focus right on God uh, so that he, had, that he would not have the real happiness that he uh, should have in life. This is a lesson that uh, Solomon understood when uh, God asked Solomon, told Solomon to ask for whatever it was he would like to have. God would give it to him. Solomon responded by saying, uh, give to your servant an understanding heart. First Kings chapter three, verse nine. Uh, understanding heart is, uh, uh, Actually, in the Hebrew, it is a listening heart, a hearing heart. Give me uh, a mind, a, a mentality to listen to people, to listen to those who are experienced, to listen to others. It showed tremendous humility. And because he focused on uh, true humility as, as his request, God said, I'm going to give you that, I'm going to give you wisdom, and beyond that, I'm going to give you any, everything else you could have asked for, riches and popularity and intelligence and all of these other things are, would be provided for, for him. Riches and honor are often uh, used together in Proverbs. Now, the word for honor is the word uh, kavod in Hebrew, kavod, and it literally means heavy. If some, if you're carrying a 50-pound load, it is a kavod load. It's a heavy load. 
So it, it came to be applied metaphorically to that which has significance or value, and it came to be applied to people who had uh, a weighty presence or a significant presence as people who were honored. People who have gravitas is the way we'd put it in English. It's, it's weightiness. And so riches and honor has to do with reach, achieving a position in life uh, where one has, uh, has a certain amount of influence and weight because of one's wisdom. So Proverbs 8.18, uh, wisdom says, Riches and honor are with me, uh, enduring riches and righteousness. Wealth without honor and righteousness will disappear. It will be uh, thrown away and it will have no meaning for the person who has it. But for the person who has integrity and honor and righteousness, then it will be used well. And so the problem is not having wealth. The problem is having wisdom and integrity. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-one says, He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, uh, righteousness and honor. Proverbs 22, 4 by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. See, the word does, the word of God doesn't uh, have any problems with people who accumulate wealth. The problem is if they don't accumulate character, godly character along with it, then the uh, wealth is will be misspent and abused by them. As we look at um, <clears throat> the next verse, verse. Um, uh, 16, and 16 and 17 says, Her ways are ways of pleasantness, that is, wisdom's ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are paths of peace. Peace is the Hebrew word shalom, which indicates health and wholeness, as well as peace or tranquility or contentment. And then in the conclusion, uh, the Father says in summary that wisdom is a tree of life, and this borrows from a metaphor going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. When God created Adam and Eve and placed him in the garden, he said that there was, a, that there was a, two significant trees in the garden. They could eat from all the trees in the garden except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they were prohibited from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that they ate from it, they would certainly die, and they did. It was a spiritual death, a separation from God. But there was another tree in the garden, and that was the tree of life. And that tree of life shows up again in the eternal state as the uh, river flows out from the throne of God and uh, the, that the river is lined by rows of the tree of life for the health of the nations. It's not that they're sick and they need to recover health, but it provides for an additional blessing and significance in life in the eternal state for those who have access uh, to the tree of life. Now, in the Garden of Eden, there was a test related to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam failed because he sought wisdom from the wrong source. That was the temptation from the serpent, that God doesn't really want you to uh, experience the knowledge of good and evil, and so he doesn't really have your best interests in mind, so you need to uh, eat from the fruit from this uh, beautiful uh, fruit, and when you do, you will then uh, be like God. 
And so he was seeking wisdom, but from another source. And what the illusion is here is that there's only one true source of wisdom, and that is wisdom from God, and that provides a quality of life to whoever acquires wisdom. And as a result, all who acquire wisdom, all who retain wisdom, are happy or blessed. Well, in conclusion, what I want to do is just summarize some of the other passages in Scripture that talk about blessing and how we acquire blessing. Remember, at the beginning I said that this word blessing, ashray, has conditions attached to it. The other word, barak, is a blessing that is freely given by God as a grace blessing to individuals, but in order to experience the full happiness and blessedness that God has for us, the fulfillment of life, we must meet certain qualifications. One of those is to acquire wisdom and understanding as we have studied. The first thing that must be acquired in life in order to experience a blessed life is that a person has to be saved. They have to come to the cross and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. You cannot have a blessed life if you are unsaved. If you are spiritually dead, by definition, you are divorced from the grace of God. You're divorced from the provision of God. You are outside of the family of God, and you are still under the uh, judgment and the consequences of spiritual death. Scripture says in Proverbs 32, 1 and 2, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So blessedness here is related to salvation, having our sins forgiven and being in a state where our transgressions are not held against us. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. As a believer, the most, point number two, the most significant prerequisite for happiness is to trust the Lord. Again and again, the scriptures make this brief point. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. We see it in numerous passages, such as Psalm 2, 12, or Psalm 34.8. I'm just putting a few up on the screen uh, to get the point across. There are other passages such as Psalm 40, verse 4, Psalm 84, verse 5, Psalm 146, verse 5, and Proverbs 16.20. But I'm going to emphasize about four here on the screen. Psalm 34.8, the psalmist says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, when we taste something, we bring it into our life. We make it part of our uh, thinking. So we are to accept and receive the Lord in all of his word into our life, and we will have the experiential realization of his goodness. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The result, blessed or happy, is the man who trusts in him. Psalm 84 Uh, uh, 84.12, O Lord of hosts, the psalmist cries out, Lord of the armies, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Happy is the man who trusts in you. Uh, Psalm 146, verse 5, happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. 
the hope aspect moves us from simply trusting in God for help, but that he is our hope. It's a future focus. He is the one who, uh, in who our confident expectation resides. And then Isaiah 30.18 uses the term waiting on the Lord, which is a synonym for trusting in him. Isaiah 30.18, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. Therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. That last line is a synonym for trusting in him. A third thing we learn from the passages related to blessedness is that the blessed man puts himself under the authority of the word of God. The word of God is the defining issue in your life. This is seen in passages such as Psalm 119.1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, that is in the way they live their life, who walk in the law of the Lord. Uh, Psalm, uh, we'll look at Psalm 1 in just a minute. You might turn there in your Bible to go, th- so we can go through Psalm 1. But Psalm, uh, 29:18 states, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is the one who keeps the law. This is a great verse for our generation because we live in a world where people cast off the authority of God's word. They want to do whatever they want to do. They don't want the Bible or Christians telling them that there are absolute moral standards in life. But what the scripture says is happiness resides in keeping the law. For us, that would be keeping the word of God, the instruction of God's word. 1 Kings 10, 8, happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. That is, as a prayer to God, hearing the wisdom of God. Let's look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1 addresses the issue of acquiring wisdom from a little bit of a negative Blessed in the man who doesn't do certain things. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Notice the progression from walking to standing to sitting. You start off walking around with the wrong crowd. Pretty much you hang around, you sit down with them, and then uh, you just uh, uh, you stand with them, and then you sit, sit down in, um, and uh, reside in all of their human viewpoint error. Uh, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, see, this is what leads to real happiness in a person's life. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He's excited about studying the word and learning what God has to say to him. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates on Sunday morning every other week. Oh, wait a minute, it didn't say that, did it? His, in his law, he meditates day and night, continuously. This is just a figure of speech. It doesn't mean you're meditating on God's word every second of every minute of every hour. You wouldn't get anything else done. 
but it focuses you in the entirety of your life. You get up in the morning, you focus by reading God's Word, and as you go through the day, you, you reflect back upon what you've read. Uh, God brings to your mind, God the Holy Spirit brings to your mind uh, principles and promises for you to claim during the day, and your life and your thinking are shaped by the Word of God. The result is in verse 3, He shall be like a tree that is fruitful, abundant, prosperous, a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit, it brings forth its fruit in its season. Notice it's in its season. It's not the same all the time. There are times when that fruit is manifest and times when it's, it's not. Uh, it brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does, he shall prosper. God oversees our lives. The ungodly are not so. Now, the term ungodly is usually a term referring to unbelievers. I haven't found an exception yet. And the, remember, these are ungodly whose way shall perish, uh, verse 6, and they are not going to stand in the judgment, verse 5. So the term ungodly refers to the unbeliever. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The way of the godly is to meditate on God's word. That's what we're called to do. That is what is expected of us. Now, the fourth point is that blessedness or happiness is for the person who applies doctrine and grace to those around him. It's, it's expressing the love of God, the unmerited love of God through us and channeling it to those around us. Psalm 41, 1 says, blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. We are to take care of our, express God's love through us to our neighbors. God takes care of us. So Proverbs 14, 21. He who despises his neighbor sins. We saw this verse already, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. And Psalm 106.3, blessed are those who keep justice and he who does righteousness all the time. Notice God doesn't use these, these pusillanimous words. That means wimpy, weak words like fair. He uses strong words like righteousness and justice. Those communicate things. Uh, Blessed are those who keep justice. How do you know justice? How do you know that absolute standard? You go to God's word. And he who does righteousness at all times. Integrity is the path to happiness. Then we come to uh, point number five. Happiness is for those who obey the word. Isaiah 56.2, blessed is the man who does this. And the son of man who lays hold of it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. That's part of the Mosaic law. So happiness comes from obeying the word. Psalm 119, 1 and 2, we've read already that blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord and who apply it with their whole heart. Uh, Sixth, blessed are those who have a lot of children. Oh, my. Psalm 127, 5 says, happy or blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So there's blessing from having children and raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, seventh, there is blessedness in work, in labor, 
in uh, fulfilling that which God has called you to do in terms of your job and your career. Uh, Psalm 128, 1 and 2, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Enjoying the, the production of your own labor, not having government come in and confiscate it through excessive taxation. But it is there for you to enjoy. Work hard and enjoy uh, what God has provided. Remember what Paul said in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, if you don't work, you don't eat. Uh, that's not what the Congress says. If you don't work, well, that's okay, we'll give you food. I just read the other day that now they're going to have programs in HISD where they're not only going to feed kids breakfast, they're going to feed them lunch, and now they're going to give them dinner. Uh, why don't they just let the teachers adopt them? They're, the school district has become the new parent. This is contrary to what the Bible teaches completely. It destroys responsibility of parents. It destroys responsibility in the home. It destroys individual responsibility because if somebody else is going to do what I ought to do, pretty soon I'm just going to say, why should I do it? Well, I'll just let them do it. And it just, it, it, it just facilitates irresponsibility and runs completely contrary to biblical teaching. Eighth point. Happiness is for the one who is is disciplined by God. We should be happy when God corrects us, Job 5.17. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. And then finally, the nation. The nation can be happy if they are focused on the Lord. Two passages, Psalm, Psalm 33.12, blessed or happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, but when that's removed from the public marketplace of ideas, idea, ideas, then the result is that we're going to have a nation of people who are miserable. And that is exactly what we see in our country and in many countries in the world. There is such instability internationally today, and that is because as never before in history, we have a world population that has more and more committed to a path against God than ever, ever before. The only path of happiness is to focus on the Lord, which is what Psalm 144.15 says. Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study these things this morning to reflect upon your provision for us and realizing that only when we pursue wisdom in terms of learning your word and applying it in our lives that God the Holy Spirit can take this to produce spiritual growth can we experience the only kind of real joy, happiness that there is in life that is a joy and happiness that rises above circumstances but it provides for us the capacity to appreciate and enjoy the circumstances whether they are circumstances of adversity or prosperity. Father, we pray that you would challenge us to apply these principles to make the study and knowledge of your word the highest value and priority of our lives, that we might recognize that there's no real stability or happiness or contentment apart from living life the way you have laid things out and living according to your word.
Father, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning that's unsure of their salvation or uncertain of their eternal destiny, that they would take this opportunity to make that both sure and certain. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. There's nothing you can do to gain favor with God. The only thing that could be done was done by God. His son died on the cross for your sins so that by looking to him, trusting in him, receiving him as your Savior, you can have eternal life. And then and only then, on the basis of Christ's righteousness, do we have standing before God. This is your opportunity to make that true in your life, that Jesus Christ is your Savior and you will have eternal life. Father, we pray that you would challenge us with these things. Let us not forget them. May the Holy Spirit continuously bring these things back to our memory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.